to Fundy's podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today's episode, I interview my good friend, Stephen Fide. Stephen talks about his early days working in New York for an advertising firm and then getting pulled into the allure of finance working as a sales trader, uh, selling to his first client, Stephen Cohen, and then becoming head trader for a long, short, dollar-neutral hedge fund focused on the healthcare sector. After that, he became a consultant and consulting for several funds, providing weekly research on the healthcare space over the past almost 20 years. He also dabbles in the alternative investment space and has a lot of interesting stories to share. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Fund Views Podcast, Stephen Fide. Good to have you on. Really appreciate you joining me. And, um, you know, I, I think the audience will have a lot to, to learn and hear from your background and, and your stories and, and all that. So to start, what's your background and, and kind of how, uh, how did you grow up and where did you go to school? What did you do? And how'd you get into finance? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> well, Greg, thanks for having me. We're starting all the way back in Ohio, I guess. Um, yeah, I grew up in a small college town called Granville in Ohio, where Denison University was a great place to, to grow up with, uh, with the university there and all the, all the uh, access to all their facilities and friends and stuff. But uh, I guess I was uh, 15. I went. Uh, my parents sent me to a boarding school in Princeton, New Jersey called Lawrenceville. It was a boys only uh, uh, boarding school and it was uh, actually changed my life a lot. I, uh, um, I had a great time there and I can tell anyone someday about uh, boarding schools, etc. But for me, I met a lot of uh, uh, friends for life and uh, learned a lot. And uh, from there, I went to uh, Trinity College in Hartford. Connecticut. And, you know, I played lacrosse and soccer and had a great time, as we all do in college. <laughs> and um, so graduated from there. And I went to, uh, you know, the old days when my father gave me $500 and said, um, uh, good luck. Well, thank God I had friends in New York City. And one of my friends um, invited me to stay for the summer, um, which was good and bad because I had planned to go on a surfing trip actually with my other two friends and my father insisted I go try to get a job first. Well, if you do that, you don't get a job first and then go surfing for a couple months. <laughs> you get a job and go to it. So I, uh, I did that and I got a job, any job I could. Uh, I got a job in advertising because, you know, as you, you don't know what you want to do. And uh, my friend had a, a uh, connection. I got a job. And uh, so I did that for uh, two or three years, I guess. I was in the media department, then I became an account executive for General Mills and had a great time. I mean, advertising is what re was, you know, really fun, young, young people, etc. But I was working till, I don't know, 1030 at night, and then we'd go out and party. And I was like, you know, but of course, you didn't show up till, till 10. But my room 10 in the morning, but um, my roommate worked down on Wall Street for a trading firm called Donaldson, Lufkin, and Jenrette, and he was coming home at 4.30, and uh, he was making uh, five times what I was making. So I said, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. Plus, I wasn't very good at the advertising. I didn't like to, to make uh, – I, I just wasn't interested in the um, – 
and the commercial making the commercials etc and you know i thought the real uh not to disparage advertising but i thought the real creative talent uh was obviously the art directors etc so anyway i wasn't using my talents i got a job uh at uh at uh, a retail firm Prubage, as a retail broker just so i could get um registered get your license and i thought get my license. So I was down on Broadway in New York city, uh, and a retail branch hating it. They gave me a stack of cards every day and said, you know, these are how many people you had to got a call. And, uh, I think in, in like a year I got one client or something. It was terrible. So, <laughs> uh, I met, uh, actually through a headhunter. I, I said, I want to get into the institutional trading. Uh, I got a job quickly uh because again someone i knew from actually my lawrenceville days which uh you know that's one good thing good connections on the east coast and uh so i got a job i went to uh, dlj and i got a incredible job being a uh, a sales trader covering accounts Mm -hmm. and institutionals on the institutional block trading desk and uh as i was a a newbie a rookie i got some of the uh hedge funds, which were just coming up uh, on the radar at that point. Uh, And I got uh, assigned some accounts in Texas, institutionals and hedge funds and some in California. So it really was a great job, a very good firm. Um, And, you know, we did block trades basically for for institutions and the hedge funds would get involved buying pieces of the block trades that we that we uh, would put up. I mean, Donaldson and probably Solomon were known as the two big capital commitment guys. So if you wanted to sell a huge block in the hole, you know, you would call us and we would bid on it. And, uh, and then we would, you know, place the trade, the hedge funds would come in, take a piece of it, try to sell it out higher or whatever. Um, So it was an exciting time. You know, I direct contact with clients, direct, uh, you know, push the button there and you've got uh, all these phone lines going to the clients, going to the floor. It was, it was a fun time to be a sales trader. Great. So with the, um, with, with that sort of mentality and that, that um, experience, I guess you guys were kind of the big, the big cheese on wall street sort of thing. Like you guys were trading the big blocks and, and, and seen as, you know, the big money or was it still a small firm? No, it was a big firm. It got uh, eventually we got bought by Credit Suisse, and and it was we were the, we were in this the the same tier as Credit Suisse, as Solomon Brothers, as Merrill Lynch, as Morgan Stanley, as Lehman Brothers. You know, those were the big institutional block trading firms. Um, so, you know, and everybody, all those sales traders at those uh, those firms would compete. Um, in terms of getting business from institutions and in the, the, you would get business two ways. You would get it by your research, you know, how the institutions value your research and they would pay you commissions based on that. So they would give you orders. Uh, and then we would also cross trades a lot. So if, uh, T. Rowe Price, uh, gave us a million shares of XYZ to sell and we would call Fidelity and they said, geez, we're looking to buy that. We'd cross a trade and take a commission on it. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of direct access to the floor and things, but, um, you know, I got excited and more, uh, uh, involved in covering the hedge funds because they provided a source of liquidity. If we were going to trade something, uh, you know, down a point, we would call the hedge funds and say, 
would you, uh, you know, would you, would you play on this? Do you want to buy, you know, a couple hundred thousand or what do you want to buy? Do you have an appetite at this price? They say, no, but we would at this price. So it helped us, uh, you know, uh, uh, offload some of the risk. It helped the hedge funds because when things get priced down the hole, oftentimes they get, they bounce right back. So I was talking to actually my first client was Steve Cohen. Oh, wow. He was a, he was a Grunthal, uh, an incredible trader and a little under the radar for not very long, but, um, uh, I found him to be, uh, you know, honest, straightforward, and he played on a lot of our, our, our trades and, uh, he became a very big client for the firm. And, uh, I had such intense communication with him on a daily basis all day long that, you know, I kind of learned his psychology and how he traded it. And I kind of built my own uh, mental model from, from that. Um, he, he's, he's just an incredible He's got a incredible gut feel. He's got good risk management. Um, of course, in those days, all these hedge funds had access to information, um, uh, not illegal information, but they paid a lot of commissions. Yeah. And so they got good first calls and stuff. So it was really the an exciting uh, place to be. Um, so I did that for a while. I went to a couple other Wall Street firms. Uh, and decided then to go to a, uh, you know, I wanted to get on the side of uh, making the trades myself. So I went to a hedge fund uh, and got that experience. Great. So, so in terms of, you know, back then when you're working in sales and trading, um, what was it like? In, I assume it's changed completely to today, right? I know I, I looked into sales and trading for a while and before I started my career and I was, and I thought I was, you know, I love to be in sales and trading. Um, but talking to sales traders, I realized that it was being automated and everything else and people were, you know, getting let go. Yeah, I, uh, I got out of it a little early. It was still a good business. Uh, I got out of it in about, uh, 1999, I guess. Um, and went to the hedge fund business right before the, uh, the crash, et cetera. Um, but the daily life was great. I mean, there were 30 of us. We were all great friends. We sat, you know, a foot apart. Uh, we all we had to scream out orders. We had to know what was going on We because we wanted to cross business. So if somebody had, you know, 20 yards away, had something for sale, he put it on the speaker and we would shop that merchandise and and then we'd, uh, you know, we'd try to cross it and we, we just had a great, great time. You know, we would also talk to the floor. We had to get they uh, talked to the floor traders to figure out what the market size was in terms of how to price it. Then we would talk to the, uh, we would give that information to the block traders who would then make the determination of where they were going to price it, what they were going to do. They would announce the trade. We're going to trade a million shares of Johnson and Johnson down a dollar at 48 and we're open to buy. So then the rest of the sales traders would call all their accounts, telling them that information and, Hopefully you'd get an account that said, great, I'll buy 200,000 on that print or I'll mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, you were engaged all day and uh, trust me at four o'clock, you were worn out and needed a cocktail and we all went out and had a great time. And uh, gosh, uh, I got into it right in 1982 when the market was, you know, just, just starting and interest Volcker was there and 16% rates yeah. and the market, the interest rates are just dropping 
And, you know, it took me 30 years to figure out that if you just follow interest rates dropping, uh, the stock market's going up. Yeah. So, but I was also there during 1987 crash, that one day uh, horrible thing. Wow. And, uh, and then 1993 and then, you know, all these. So it, it was exciting. But yes, your, your point, though, is technology has taken over. I have uh, now it's all I don't even know how it is, but uh, I have one friend that was still there with me uh, who played it out as a sales trader all the way through. And he, he basically said, there's just nothing for us to do. You know, we just get paid by research uh, payments. They tell us what to do. We put it on the system, you know, type it in and it just goes. And a lot of people are buying stuff all through the day. So, you know, one of the things I learned is, you know, if Fidelity gives you a big order or gives anybody a big order. It's going to last for a long time. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, you see these big moves in stocks. It's just they just make the decision and they've got a lot of stock to sell. So you see big moves. Um, yeah, there's big uh, pricing and, pressure up upwards right. or downwards, right, with these big block trades. That, yeah, when they, go, they just keep going. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's really no block trades that I know of. I mean, I'm sure there are. Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't say I'm sure that, you know, quietly happening, but it's not like it used to be. Um, more feeded into the system, you know, average the price over the day, over the week, over the month, whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, cool. So your, your move to hedge funds, what was that like? And, and what was it like? Were, were, were you doing kind of the same job from trading to trading at a hedge fund or? Yeah. Yeah. I became the head trader at a firm called Forceman Partners, which was um, uh, a really, really good firm. Um, and we we it happened to be a, a healthcare hedge fund. Uh, Tony started it uh, with a small amount of money and grew it through performance. And uh, you know we were I guess it was 1999. You know, uh, uh, fund of funds and allocators were loving to put money into hedge funds. The market was going up through the roof. We we got a lot of money. Our strategy was to um, uh, invest in healthcare, which uh, Tony Forsman knew, and we hired several analysts that were medical doctors uh, who uh, were young, out of med school, wanted to pay back their, uh, you know, their <laughs> school fees, etc. So really bright guys. Um, and our strategy was to be long, short, but be dollar neutral. So we would be same amount of dollars on the long side as we would on the short side. So we had to find a lot of shorts. I was the head trader. My job really was to trade, you know, a portion of the uh, of the portfolio where there were key, um, you know, core positions and sort of trade around those positions based on information from the street or where. And so I built a, a technical model for the analysts uh, and Tony, the portfolio manager, that would segment uh, subsectors of the healthcare. Mm-hmm. So you had. Uh, medical tech, you'd have HMOs, you'd have hospitals, you'd have uh, software, you would have biotech, you would have drugs. And they all operated, uh, they, they all moved differently according to, to risk and sentiment and where the dollars wanted to flow. So within healthcare, they flowed either towards biotech and maybe away from HMOs, which are more of a safe trade. And then when it, when then so I tried to differentiate that. So we want to be over allocated into biotech at a at a certain um, point and under allocated to hospitals, or we wanted to reverse that. 
And then, uh, so, so that's where we started with that premise. And so I sort of built a technical model that gave us uh, indication, and, you know, based on price, because I, I believe price always is a telling sign and eventually you find out why. So that, uh, for instance, if a stock's acting poorly, uh, it's under the moving averages, it just, you know, it bounces and it fails. You find out, you know, three months later in the earnings call that things are bad. The smart money always knows. So we look at price as an overriding indicator of which, and then built it into our model so that the analyst could say, okay, we're going to look in this group because that's a, that's a lagging group. We're going to look for shorts there and we're going to look for longs in the groups that are acting well. So that gave them a sort of an overview of where we should be. And then within that, I'd try to look for stocks that were performing really well and, uh, you know, had good technical trends, et cetera. Uh, and then they would do work on that and then I would buy them and then you'd become a core position or a, or a, uh, you know, or a trading vehicle or a short, uh, that was either core based on our analysts, uh, decisions or just a trade. And we found some really good stocks that way. I mean, we found intuitive surgical at $4, uh, based on the technicals, we sent an analyst up to Boston to go look at it. Um, and, you know, because the price was acting well, it gave us an indication. We went and did the, the due diligence and we bought the stock. And we did that on a lot of both longs and shorts. So that was my job to sort of give them an indication to, to narrow down the field and say, this is where the action is, both on the long and the short side. And and then also, you know, hedge funds, um. It's the next part of my story, really, um, for uh, non-performance reasons, et cetera, uh, personal reasons. The firm um, dissolved four years later. We had very good performance. Mm -hmm. uh, people wanted to do different things. So the analysts went to various hedge funds like SAC and uh, and other healthcare hedge funds, and were, some of them uh, became uh, portfolio managers and wanted to use the same model. because. Basically, they found it's great being an analyst saying, I think this is a great company over five years, but oh my God, I'm being judged on a, on a monthly basis, my performance. So I can't afford to have a stock go up 10% and then drop 10% and be flat, you know? So I have to trade around positions a little bit more and I have to, and also they want to use me to find some new ideas, both on the long and short side. So I became a, from enforcement, I became a consultant to five or six of these guys, I guess, mm -hmm. at various firms. And I provided them sort of weekly portfolio reviews where they should add to positions if the market dropped and then where they should trim if it, euphoria hit and we got a sell signal. Um, what are some good shorts? What are stocks that they should should be looking at that are acting well? That, that kind of thing. I did it and I've had those clients since, Jesus, two thousand. And three, uh, wow. most of them, some of them retired, actually done well and uh, and called it quits. So um, but the ones, you know, I have the core stable and uh, uh, I love working with them. So, yeah. And it's and, and you've been working with those guys for 20, almost 20 years or, or sometimes more than 20 years, I imagine. Yeah, the, the the portfolio guys, the owners of the funds, the head the head guys I've been working with for that long. The um, the analysts have sometimes come and go, but mm -hmm. 
but I talk to both the portfolio managers and the analysts mm-hmm. because analysts are looking for new things to look at, you know, new companies to investigate. So, yeah, now I have, yeah, so I've got them. Uh, I focus on them a lot. I give them a weekly uh, portfolio review on Sunday. So they're ready for Monday morning uh, in during the week. If I see someone on one stock in their portfolios that, uh, you know, got killed, they'll send me a text and say, what do you think? You know, I'll say you should either just wait or here's the next support or a model says this. So it's it's pretty hands on, um, and uh, and and I like it. They become friends. Um, that said, you know the couple that have retired, I could handle a couple more clients, but you know I don't. It's not going to be. It's not going to be hugely. Uh, yeah, you don't. Big. You don't want to. You know, you don't want to provide it on a mass scale, right? Because then you know your alpha yeah. is gone. It, it, yeah, that sounds interesting. And so, so what are your thoughts on you know? Uh, being that these are more institutional investors that are that are using your your technology, what are your thoughts on you know the retail crowd coming in and trading this stuff on Robinhood and, and how that changes the markets? You know, have you thought of those kind yeah. of uh, side? Well, I don't think I would change any markets <laughs> with my uh, impact, but um, I've thought a lot about, especially you know, I think more about when I make really good calls than when I make poor calls. But I think. You know some of the stocks that uh, have gotten crushed, uh, and I've and I've indicated some really good opportunity buy stock buying points, mm-hmm. uh, and not only on uh, you know healthcare, but I also you know I obviously follow all the Motley Fool stocks yeah. and all the momentum stocks and the Investors Daily stocks because you know they're very momentum and when they get killed uh, or or when they rally up to extremes, they're good short points. So I, I think that. Boy, I wish I had a vehicle to get this information out to individuals because I think it's very valuable. On the other hand, I have a client base that's been treating me very well, mm-hmm. and so for the healthcare stocks, I want to s- stick with that. But I've thought about maybe I don't know. I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not adver- uh, up on how you start a YouTube channel or whether or how you contact individuals. But um, certainly. I see these charts and I see these opportunities uh, in stocks that I'd love to be able to get out to the public. Um, You know, I'd have to discuss that with my current client base, but yes, that's something that, that, that I, that I'm, that I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. and kind of to do. And maybe this COVID area with everybody, uh, you know, sharing their uh, information over the, over the internet is, is very interesting and enticing to me yeah you start doing podcasts and uh and youtube channels and you know everyone's on twitter these days and and every other social media this tiktok craze is another thing i haven't even haven't even looked into that yet i don't know if i will because I, I i'm kind of social media out but um yeah I, well you're a, you're a youngster i don't even know how to <laughs> do all this stuff. i have to find and hire somebody to do it so but it, it, you know it is it is interesting where smart people can get their ideas out and boy, people sitting at home have access to podcasts like yours and they learn so much, learn so much uh, from listening to your podcasts and others. So yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's been great so far. There's a, there's a lot, I, I find there's a lot more you can learn from, from a discussion with someone, you know, such as yourself with all this experience trading healthcare stocks for decades. Right. And then building the proprietary yeah. model of it. Like, there, there's so much you can learn from that discussion um, that you can't learn from, you know, 
reading a textbook or <laughs> like staying in school and then oh, yeah, yeah, writing yeah, a yeah. CFA well, or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just learned so much from, uh, from covering, you know, these hedge fund guys about how they think and how they trade and their risk management mm-hmm. and how they, uh, you know, go in and out of things until they feel it's right. And then they can really pile it on. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm learning a lot every day from YouTube. I have to tell you. Yeah. And uh, so what, what other, um, what other uh, things did you learn from like Stephen A. Cohen? Obviously he's, super notoriety through the roof, but, you know, working with him in the early days and his trading methodology and, you know. Well, he would, you know, it was kind of a go-go market back then. Uh, he was really good at, uh, at buying something, buy, he'd say buy 25,000 XYZ and uh, at this price and I'd buy it and he'd watch the action and he'd say, sell it. And, you know, he just was, had no tolerance for losses. Um, and, um, this is when he was, you know, just trying to get a feel for the stock. And then half hour later, it started acting really well. And he'd be like, okay, buy 25 that. And then start going up, he'd buy, buy another 25. He was very good at assessing when he had the momentum behind him. And, uh, so he was good at that. He was also, you know, um, he's not just a trader. He had a great sense for how the idea would play out. Um, and how long it would play out, et cetera. And I guess he grew his business by getting, he eventually started hiring analysts um, mm-hmm. and allowing them to trade their own portfolio. So they wanted, you know, every analyst wants to do it themselves. So, but then he would, he would was smart enough to talk to them and have them give him his best idea sort of on a, like every Sunday, yeah. this is why I put thing out on Sundays, you know, we're going to have a preparation. So uh, he, he knew sort of, where to focus in on where the best ideas of the firm were and where to put his, his efforts. And um, that's why, you know, when we got the foresman, we kind of did that. We kind of said, well, what's the group that we want to be in? You know, what are the analysts best stocks? And then we would, we would, we wouldn't trade those like that. We would trade these though. When they, you know, they go up 15, 20, 25%, we'd be taking some off and we'd be buying it back down 15% or wherever the model said support was. So, but uh, no, I mean, he's, he's really um, grown an incredible business. I think so many people have, have, have tried to follow what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was, that was how I was uh, influenced. Interesting. So what's, um, what's um, going on for the future? Obviously the, you know, YouTube channel you're talking about potentially, and, and you're looking um you know, if, if any institutional investors are out there and want to want to buy your research, they can always contact you as well. It's and, and yeah, yeah. I think I'd be uh, I, I think I'd be a good source for family offices too, mm-hmm. or that have a longer term portfolio and want to see. You know, because by the time people get into all these, um, as I call them, Motley Fool stocks or IBD stocks, and I have a lot of respect for Motley Fool. I mean, they are they sound quote foolish, but they had to do a lot of, uh, of good research. They found some incredible growth stocks. Mm. And unfortunately, um, a lot of these ideas don't get seized upon till too late. The price action starts and people don't believe it and it starts to go up and people still don't believe it. And then all of a sudden it's on CNBC every day and blah, blah, blah. And everybody wants to pile in. And, you know, my, 
model file finds these things way before that. So I would think, uh, you know, it's, it's really good for long-term investing as well, because you, you find these ideas, price is telling you something's going on. Smart people are buying and their volumes accumulating more institutions are buying these stocks. And then by the time it gets on CNBC and, uh, you know, Kramer's talking about how great it is, it's, 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 it, you know, you've, you've missed the big move. So, uh, you know, I'd like to get more involved in that. I just moved to Miami from New York City, and uh, you know, I'm having a great time here. And there's, I'd like to get involved with maybe some uh, local funds down here. Um, there's and, sounds like uh, there's going to be a lot more local funds uh, in South Florida, though, uh, with a lot of moves. It's funny. I came here in, uh, I guess, last January, when my accountant from New York City said, "You're crazy." <laughs> And then, uh, so I did, and then uh, I still had an apartment in New York City, but uh, COVID hit, and I said, hmm, I kind of like the sunshine, and uh, there's a lot of financial uh, business coming this way. Obviously, a lot of hedge funds are coming. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are coming. It's it's a vibrant financial community. Yeah, you've got firms like Appaloosa and you know BlackRock, Blackstone are moving into Brickell, and you've got you know, all these, yeah. all these different funds and fund management and financial firms, and obviously it's the gateway to Latin America as well. You've got, you know, all the Latin American and and European money coming in. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 uh, you know, so the big institutions. It's really hard for me because, uh, you know, they have access to a lot of a lot of info and uh, and, but um, I think the smaller mid sized hedge funds that want to use another tool. I think people are still so uh, oriented towards the fundamental research uh, that they don't put a lot into the technicals um, and, you know, until the market starts to crack. But even on the way up, you're finding that if you're out of, uh, I'll give an example, if you're in some of the med tech stocks uh, like intuitive surgical and, uh, Hamanetics and Medtronic and Stryker, if you had been in those and out of some of these um, uh, service companies like McKesson and Cardinal, they've done nothing. They've actually gone down. You would outperform historically. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to find uh, new clients if they want, but they have to be obviously believe like I do that a combination of the technicals and the fundamentals is just a huge risk management, if nothing else, mm-hmm. uh, tool. So, yeah, especially, in, another, especially in these yeah. markets, because, you know, you look at what, what drives the markets, right? Traditionally it was, I think fundamentals and value over time has been, you know, a great proven, proven point, but the market's completely changing, right? You have, you have day traders that, you know, live in their mom's basement that are <laughs> like buying and selling, stocks and you know one of them can't move markets but sentiment and and momentum is huge in in markets like this that are driven by retail investors and then you also have you know which i think is a big big phenomenon now on the youtube channels you have all these uh fear mongers like Mm -hmm. the market's gonna crash and oh my god and as soon as it drops uh, a little bit they're like this they compare it to 1929 and they put all this fear out there and everybody's seeing it um, which is why, you know, on a weekly basis, we send out yeah. our sort of market report. And you know what? We still haven't broken all the moving averages. And maybe we are in the process here today. <laughs> and, and, but but technically, for the last 
you know, five years, we've been saying, technically, if you just look at it through our model, it's going up. So, you know, until that that changes, you never catch the top, but you can certainly, since we're up 400% since 2009, mm-hmm. you can certainly de-risk your portfolio by following uh, following uh, a technical model. Interesting. So, great. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about on the podcast or anything else you want to mention? No. I just, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. I know you have a, a, uh, a, lot of experience and interesting people um and i want you to just keep doing it because uh because I, I i find it great straightforward and it's also i like to i like to hear your guests uh you know personal feelings you know like maybe why did a guy leave san francisco after all these years you know and where is he moving and yeah uh you know because we all have this dilemma of what to do with our money where to move it etc um i guess the last thing i'll say is i am looking at uh, niche alternative uh, money managers that are doing stuff, um, which, you know, in the 200, $300 million portfolio range that are doing some stuff that's not correlated to the, to the stock and bond market. And, you know, I might be, uh, I might be accessing them at some point. So it's, it's kind of interesting, um, but that's a good Great. for individuals to look as well. It's not just yeah. stocks and bonds. So. Great, great. So like uncorrelated type stuff and yeah, you know, and today's interesting environment with e- e- equity at record highs and and interest rates at record lows, right? So yeah, um, where can you where can the average person get some stability and some yield and you know, so that's and, and there are a lot of people out there doing that. So Great. Well, I'll uh I'll be sure to, you know, all of our listeners, you know, just to let you know, if you want to get a, get in touch with Steve, um, you know, you know where to get him. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Steve. Really appreciate the time and um, sharing your story and, and interesting views on the markets and trading and hedge funds and, and the move from New York to Florida. It's all kind of uh, very interesting. Yes. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate the uh, the time. Thanks.